Welcome to Creative Twist. I'm Sally Vanderpump and I'm going to be talking to people who've rediscovered their creativity after a break or taken a twist in their career paths and tried something new. Coming back to creativity made my life better. Let's find out how it changed my guests' lives too. Michelle Jerram was a police officer for 23 years and was medically retired after an assault on duty. She started acting two and a half years ago and used lockdown to get as much training as possible. She had a few day player roles, including The Split and EastEnders, and can soon be seen as series regular DS Simone Montrose or Monty in the new BBC One police drama Granite Harbour. We talk about the benefits of coming to acting later in life, transferring the skills and experience from Michelle's previous career, and how her curiosity and hyper-focus work in her favour on set. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Um, so I think you've got a really fascinating story because you spent 23 years in the police force, didn't you? Would you like to tell us about your, your previous career to get us started? Yeah, I um, started as a police officer when I was 21, so in 1991. And uh, I had a quite a varied career from uniform, CID, control room, uh, covert ops, strategic ops. So, so I mean, a really quite a varied career. And I loved it, actually. And I ended up getting injured on duty through an assault, which then caused me to be retired early. So I was medically retired after 23 years. Um, and I had five operations on my leg because oh, it was, wow. yeah, it was, it was, uh, quite full on. So that, that ended my career actually mm. in 2014 uh, when I was 44 and I would have naturally retired at 51 after 30 right. years. Uh, I'm 52 now. So I would have retired December just gone anyway, mm -hmm. but uh, I was early retired and I didn't want to go. And it was in that time when the government were cutting 20,000 police officers or police roles and I sort of fell victim to it really. And I was quite adamant I didn't want to go I was still able I wasn't I was still able to do my job I could still pass the physical I keep myself fit but where I, I had a knee replacement amongst other things I can't kneel on my right leg and sometimes when you arrest suspects you end up on the floor because you're when you're detaining them you you sometimes do end up uh, in a bit of a scuffle so not being able to kneel on my right leg was a problem mm. And my surgeon, because I was quite young to have a knee replacement and you can only really have two in your lifetime, although I know medicine does move on, um, he was you know, saying it's really quite risky for you. Mm. So the job weren't really willing to take that risk and uh, I ended up being medically retired. So yeah, 23 years of a really enjoyable career. I loved it. But I actually always wanted to be an actor. So you'd all, I, you always wanted yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was really interested in acting and I did go for a few theatre auditions and funnily enough, theatre doesn't interest me anymore. I like the theatre, mm. but it, as a theatre actor, it doesn't really mm. do it for me. And I remember going with my mum to a couple of auditions and, you know, not, not getting anywhere and um, I sort of did tap and modern as it was in those days mm. and... 
you know, nothing really seemed to sort of fit. I wasn't, I wasn't really a very gregarious child. I was quite introvert and still am fairly introvert, funnily enough. And I wasn't sort of able to let myself go. Mm. And that's one thing I still struggle with a little bit now. But we can cut, we can talk about that later. But yes. I did really want to be an actor when I was younger. And, and I suppose sort of come, I didn't really push it, to be perfectly honest with you. And, and mm. by the age of 21, obviously my career took me in a completely different mm. direction. So yeah, I sp- that's quite a big um, contrast, isn't it? The acting and the police. How did you come to the police as a as a career choice? I don't know really. Um, I I think I did I did have that feeling that I wanted to make a difference and give back and you know all of those sort of cliches, but it mm. was it was quite true. And I think. It was nice to be in a disciplined service, you know, mm. not not that I was was a wayward person or anything like that, but being in a disciplined service sort, sort of really sets you up for life, I think. It really gives you a path to follow and mm. a truthful path and a law-abiding path and all of those things. So uh, I don't really remember the exact thing. I don't know mm. if it was like one day I thought, oh, I'll, I'll try being, you know, I don't think it was a, an ingrained desire I think one day I just probably thought I need to do something with my life you know I left school at 16 with very few um, uh, exam grade results or the rest of it and actually I my highest grades were in drama and art so I was always sort of fairly <laughs> creative so uh, you know after joining the police and going through all that and then coming out of it you think well what transferable skills do I have yes and there are so many that you have, you know, with communication, with decision making, with working as part of a team. There's, there are so many transferable skills, but you don't actually get a qualification when you leave the police. And then you've left and you were part of this family for 23 years and suddenly you're a civilian. And mm. it's it's a very strange, a very strange feeling. You know, yeah, it's almost you like you've been cut loose from a, a structure, as you say. You, mm. But I suppose you can take that discipline that you were talking about forward into your next career, can't you? That that sort yeah. of structured approach probably helps in something more creative as well, would you, do you think? Yeah, I think so. And also the life experiences that I've had. You know, mm. you see you see things as a police officer and, and all of the emergency services that you really should never see. You know, there's there's an element of, you know, it just sort of, um you know it's very difficult to put into words but you know you see so much destruction so much death you know and and you see lots of great things as well and you you're, you you know you sometimes save lives and you sometimes make a real difference to people's lives whether it's you know go into a domestic violence situation and you've managed to turn that around somehow but you also see many many things that you really shouldn't see but mm. those life experiences have given me um, or have made me really the person I am now. I think had I become an actor when I was in my 20s, I think it would have been probably not particularly successful just purely because of my mindset. But, Mm. you know, now, you know, leaving the police at 44 and starting my acting journey at 49 and a half, it's a real, you know, you're a grown up. You know Mm. what you want. You know who you are. And I think that really helps. So for the more mature actors 
that are starting their career now it's uh it's definitely a plus it's definitely mm. a, and lots of casting directors say that as well you know it's definitely a plus to have that life experience because it's all yeah. transferable isn't it somehow mm. yeah i'd absolutely agree with that that you've got a depth of experience and emotional understanding that maybe you didn't i know i certainly didn't have as a 20 something when i was sort of first acting yeah it's a, a different different person so tell us a little bit about the journey then from from the police into actually starting your acting career. How did you go about that? So when I was 44, that was when I was medically retired. And in 2014, that year, it was a really busy year. I you know, moved house, got married, went on honeymoon, all of those things. And it sort of took up time. And then my wife went to South Africa to work and I went out there for a bit and you know, I came back and I thought, I need I need to really be doing something. I can't be a lady of leisure at 44. And I'm quite, um, I'm, I'm a doer, you know, mm. I'm nev- never one to really sit back. So I had a really good, lo- long, hard think about things. And so I decided that I wanted to be an actor, but I'm the sort of person that wants to know the ins and outs of everything. Mm. I want to be fully prepared I want to, you know, know the why of everything, you know, and I'm really hyper-focused on things that I'm interested in, Mm. (laughs) which is probably why I wasn't very good at school on certain subjects. But um, if I'm interested in it, I'm hyper-focused and I want to become almost an expert. Yes. So I thought about being an extra or supporting artist, whichever term you want to use. So I signed up to a few agencies and... I did it as work experience. That's how I treated it. Mm. So I wanted to have some onset experience. I wanted to understand everything that, how it worked, you know, the whole sort of procedure. So I did that for about a year. And it was very good because now when I'm on set, you know, had I not done that, I wouldn't, wouldn't have a clue of what that person is and what that what what's a boom and what when they say back to firsts I wouldn't have had a clue I would have had no idea so I did that and treated it as work experience for a year and I was on um, something where I, I did a little bit of police advising and while I was police advising I was asked to do a scene with one of the characters because it was something that they'd asked my advice on and said oh who would do this and I explained it and they said would you do it and I suppose at that moment, I thought, I can I can do this. So I ended up doing um, two or three scenes with this actress in an ITV drama. And I, I, liked, I, liked, I loved it. You know, I came away absolutely buzzing. And I thought, right, now's the right time to move on. And I think what's really important in acting is it, loads of people say it's a marathon and not a sprint. It's a long game. And it, and it is. And my journey has probably taken a bit quicker than others but there there are there are reasons behind that i think but at that moment i then made that decision that i wanted to be an actor but at that moment i had no idea how to do it you know i i haven't been to drama school i didn't know where to start and a couple of examples of not knowing where to start and starting in the wrong place was I went to some um, workshops and there are quite a few 
companies out there that do workshops like Just Add Milk and Mixing Networks and uh, there are a few others. So I went to a couple of in-person workshops where you get your sides, you know, a day or so before and then you go and perform it in, in front of the casting director and then lots of other people in the class. But I had, I had no training. I, I was rubbish. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to break down a script. I didn't know how to do the character work. So I was kind of starting somewhere in the middle. And that was a mistake. because. But then I didn't know, if you see what I mean. I, I had no clue where to start. Um, and then I, after doing a few of those, and they were quite disastrous, I joined um, Act On This, if you heard of Act On This. With I Ross think Grant. that's where I um where I saw you actually was it yes on one of the calls with um act on this so oh okay yes it's such a brilliant um community really isn't it really good but yeah. that actually I mean I think that's one of the best platforms for actors who are starting out to get all the information they need and so what I did is I I joined I watched as many as I could of the podcast with casting directors, other actors, agents. And I learned so much about how to start, really, where to start. So then I reeled it in and went and <laughs> went to um, some online workshops with uh, casting directors, again, where you do scenes, but there's maybe only 10 of you doing this online. Well, actually, so sorry, just before that, I did my very first acting course with Mel Churcher at Pinewood and it was October 2019 so that was the very first acting course that I did and it was a week and that was brilliant and then after that I joined Act On This and then found all of the information. So by this point it's into kind of Covid lockdowns and things is it? Is yeah it? yeah so literally I was 49 and a half did my first acting course with Mel Churcher in October 2019 <laughs> And then I did some online courses with Just Add Milk and then with Emma Crompton uh, with the casting feed. And then when we got locked down in the March, I then, like everyone, no one worked for that year. And I hadn't had an audition at this point. So then I just did as many courses as I possibly could. Uh, had uh, just sort of really immersed myself in everything, watched as many act on this as I possibly could. And through sort of, I, I was sort of filming monologues and duologues and posting them on Twitter. And to be perfectly honest, some of them were terrible. <laughs> um, and uh, But one, one of them sort of caught the attention of Mal Churcher I'd done the course with, and she said, you know, you really should be sending this out to casting directors. She really liked it, which was great coming from her. So then I started doing that. And then through doing some courses with a casting feed, I ended up having one-to-one -one coaching with Emma Crompton, who's still my coach. She's been coaching me for a year and a half now. And I see her practically every week, bar holidays, and she's got COVID at the moment and things like that. So that um, has really helped me sort of hone my skills if you like so going from having no clue where to start doing all of this through lockdown and then getting an agent that contacted me and said you know I'd really like to represent you oh that's fantastic so th where did they see your work on twitter I just sort of was flooding twitter really with um you know just stuff you know headshots and 
you know new new things that I would monologues and all sorts of things so yeah and did you write me. your own write your own pieces yeah well the the one monologue that I did and this is another thing as well when it was pride week 2020 so a couple of years ago and spotlight were set, you know sent out this tweet saying you know write your own monologue do something something to celebrate pride but no more than 60 seconds so i wrote um, a monologue called coming out again <laughs> because when you're gay you end up coming out so many times especially if you're um you know if you I don't, I don't know, but I mean, it's, it's just one of those things people refer to, or what does your husband do? And I have to sort of, so, you know, you might end up coming out, you know, two or three times a week because you're correcting someone. Yes, yes. So I, I wrote this monologue called Coming Out Again and posted it on Twitter and it, it got some really nice attention and actually four or five casting directors commented on it and then followed me. And, you know, so it's things like that, sort of just getting yourself out there, really. I'm really impressed by that because it's something that I'm probably a bit too cautious about doing really because I think you can really when you're working on your own at home and you it's very easy to write something or record something and then think oh no you know back off from it and hold yourself back from because it's quite a vulnerable thing to do isn't it so how did you sort of overcome that fear barrier? I think because I wrote it myself it was my words it it it, it makes it easier that's why um, Phoebe Wallerbridge is so good because she wrote Fleabag for her so she's not saying anyone else's words at all her own so I think when you write it yourself it's it flows better so I, I was a bit cautious about doing it and I, and I thought oh god what if it doesn't what if no one likes it you know and, and then I thought oh stuff it I'll, I'll put it up so yeah there's always that trepidation I think but you just got to go for it sometimes yeah <laughs> So you put that piece out and you got good feedback on that and then that's where your agent found you, is that right? Yeah, then my agent in May, um, where are we now? We're in 2022. So yeah, May 20 contacted me and said, you know, I haven't got anyone on, on my books like yourself. Uh, can we have a meeting? So we had a meeting and then she signed me. So I've been with her for two years. I'm still with her. And Throughout the rest of the 20, 2020, no one worked. And then I got my very first audition at the very end of 2020 for um, The Beast Must Die, which is on BritBox, I think. And it was a police officer role. And I thought, this is great because, you know, some people are afraid or they they put a showreel out that is them shooting guns or wrestling people. And I think really you should be, when you're first starting out, probably embracing you <laughs> what's you and you know I've 23 years as a police officer why not you know why not really want to go for these roles it's my it's my environment it's where I'm comfortable so actually most of those roles that I've auditioned for pretty much all been police or something in an authoritative capacity but yeah that was so it you know it was at the very end of 2020 I got my first audition and then in 2021, I averaged one audition a month. So I had 12 in 21, and I booked two of them. Oh, wow, that's a really um, high ratio, I think. That's not too bad. Yeah, it's like you know, one, one in six, isn't it? But um, So I booked EastEnders. No, I booked Liar first. 
um, series two of Lie, where I played a surgeon, but the scene was cut. <laughs> and then straight after, I booked EastEnders. And funnily enough, with EastEnders, I'd auditioned for it, and then I didn't get it. But then about a week later, I had a straight offer for another role. So I think that's why it's really important to treat your auditions as a win, regardless of whether you get it or not, because they'll remember you. That's their job. They want yes. to remember people. They need they need to, you know, get actors for the roles that are, that are coming up. So, yeah, a week later I had a straight offer for part of Magda and EastEnders, and it was it was a day player role. And I think they're the hardest actually, but both Liar and EastEnders were both day player roles, and. So I booked like two in a row and then I thought, oh God, this is great. You know, it was starting to happen. And then the next one came in and I didn't get it. And my audition was awful. That's not surprising actually. <laughs> and Emma wasn't available. My coach wasn't available. She was on holiday. And I just completely overthought it. I, I was trying to do everyone's job, you know, the finished product, everything. And it, it just was awful. And then at, at that moment, that was the the, la- the first time and the last time I ever had a, oh, God, am I, you know, God, this is like dreadful. Um, you know, I had one of those real downers. And then I, from that, I thought I'm never letting myself get to that again because it's it's destructive. You have to just audition and easy to say, but forget about it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't hear anything within two weeks move on and when I auditioned for that role in it was for Shakespeare and Hathaway and it was a guest lead so it would have been my biggest role and I didn't get it and I was like so disappointed and I just sort of just tied myself up in knots you Mm. know why and all these sorts of things and it's kind of like I'm never going to let that happen again and I haven't you know so there Mm. you know that's that's kind of the way it goes now you know it's do it as long as I've done a good job and move on let it go yeah Yeah. I know it's very it can be difficult to do that especially when it's something that you would really love to Mm. play but I think it's the the only way really isn't it to sort of keep keep your momentum yeah so then your latest role is in Granite Harbour which Mm -hmm. you've just filmed so do you want to tell us a bit about that and the process the casting process first of all yeah so this year started uh, quite busy for me so the from the middle of so for three weeks from the middle of Ju- uh, January to the end of February I had five auditions Granite Harbour it was called Commonality but that's that was the fourth audition and I had one after that and the others were quite small roles and this came in and I looked at it and I went oh, this is it this is this is it it was it was to play a detective chief inspector and uh, they gave me the whole episode episode one and that's why day player roles are so difficult because you get sides. So you get, you know, your, your A4 with lots of bits crossed out and then just like three or four lines. And you've got to make head and tail of the whole thing. You know, you really have to try and figure everything out and they're so difficult to do. But having a whole script, a whole episode on this one, I read it a couple of times. This is where I become hyper-focused with things. Read it a couple of times and then I read it again and made notes and I always give, regardless of how big the role is, I always give my characters a backstory. So I always write a biography. And usually it's about an A4 size biography. So I'll write whether, you know, maybe what her sexuality is. Does she have any children? Is she happy at home? 
um, why is she doing what she's doing? And then I'll break down the characteristics of that character. So um, is she independent? Is she confident? Is she cheery? You know, all of those things. And also like the surroundings and my relationship to other characters and my status. And I will make notes and decide, I write what I say about myself, what I say about other people and what other people say about me. And that's quite important as well, because there are so many clues within a script when somebody might say something about you. So in in one of the scenes, it says everyone's in the pub getting a bit half cut, except Monty, who's always in control. So that's quite important to almost be a detective, really. And, and yeah. You know, I was going to say that the skills, the transferable skills coming in, isn't it? That you yeah, can definitely. be quite forensic with your yeah, script exactly. analysis. And then, so so this role, I thought, oh, this is perfect. But it it was big, and I was thinking, blimey, this is this is a this is more than a step up from day player. This is almost ten year career type. You know, people take that long sometimes to get to that point. And I was thinking, blimey. Anyway, I did all the work. Uh, I did my self-tape. I was so pleased with my self-tape. And I thought, if if I don't get it, I really have done absolutely everything that I could possibly do. Then um, the whole process was seven weeks. It was seven weeks, three auditions and seven different scenes. So I did three scenes for my first audition, then had a recall. And in the recall, um, it was on Zoom because the casting director is based in Scotland and we had uh, her, so it was someone, Pereira Hyde and Anna Dawson, and they were lovely. It couldn't, couldn't have been lovelier, you know, to put you at ease, you know, just to make you feel, ah. But I'd, done, I'd really done my homework. I knew my lines back to front, inside out. I, there was nothing that was going to, you know, I had to sort of go in there and think, right, own it, you know, not be cocky, but own it. Go in there and absolutely own it and just show them what you've got and solve their problem. And just sort of, yeah, just go for it. Be in the moment. Be truthful. Everything you're saying. So I did it. And Simone afterwards, she was like, oh, I've I've got no notes. And I was like, oh, (laughs) you know, because you always expect to get notes and redo it, you know. And so... She asked, she, she said, well, let's, let's redo it again anyway, just, and let's do, do it this way. So I did it again and I came off of, you know, it was a 30 minute recall and I came off and I spoke to Emma and I just said, I, it couldn't have gone any better. You know, if, if I don't get it, obviously I'll be disappointed, but I've, you know, there's nothing more that I could have done. So a couple of days later, I get a phone call from my agent saying they loved you but they don't think you're quite right for the role. And I was like, I know. And I was like, oh my God, I've put so much. That's, that's when the disappointment hits, you know, you know, like, and so invested in it, so invested in it, but they said, but they don't want to lose you. They really like you. And there's another role that at the moment is male. And they wonder whether or not you would like to audition for that. Oh, wow. And I was, and I, and I'd, obviously made notes about this other character because, you know, I'd read the episodes, uh, uh, the episode rather. So I knew, you know, and it wasn't such a big part. And I was like, oh yeah, but I mean, yeah, of course, I'm not going to turn it down. Of course, I'd love to do it. So I did it. And um, when I I spoke to the casting director, we had a phone conversation. She said, I don't want to get your hopes up, but um, 
it's actually a character written for a man. They've already auditioned and recalled the actors that they wanted to see for the role. But they're willing to make that role a female character. And like I say, I don't want to get your hopes up, but I mean, if you nail it, it's practically yours. So I did nail it. <laughs> I, I absolutely did everything forensically that I did, you know, before. And then I got a phone call from my agent and she said, you've booked the role. But what they then did is they rewrote the character. So obviously it was male. They rewrote it, but made it bigger. So it's now a, you know, a really sizable part. Wow, so Michelle, that's such a testament to the performance that you put in in your auditions. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's, God, it was seven weeks of stress. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute stress. But they, um, they, they were really lovely. And the, so basically Granite, Granite Harbour, as it's now called, is a police crime drama. Uh, for BBC, it will be on BBC One at 8pm, possibly in December at the moment, which is a great time to air because most people are in <laughs> watching telly, aren't they? Yep. And it's it's based in Aberdeen. We, uh, we actually only filmed one week in Aberdeen. The rest was filmed in Glasgow. And it's a three-episode police drama. My character is called DS Simone Montrose, but Monty is how she's referred to. And it's a, there's a team of five. So there's myself, um, Romario Simpson, who plays Lindo, Hannah Donaldson, who plays Bart. That's another, that's a nickname in it. Um, the DCI role went to Dawn Steele, who's Monica the Glen, Holby City, you know, that sort of thing. And she's lovely. And, and she also auditioned for a different part as well. So we were having a chat about that. And Malik is played by, uh, Bav, a guy called Bav Joshi who's in the baby at the moment and he's going to be in, you know, he's in quite a few bits and bobs at the moment. So it's a team of five. So that, that f these us five are the core cast. So we're the series regulars. And then there's obviously guest leads that come in. So we had Gary Lewis, um, who was Billy Elliot's dad and Billy Elliot, if you ever watched the film. Um, and just, just loads of fab sort of guest leads came in. Katia Winter, who's, Swedish and she's in lots of fab things and she's lovely as well so that's the the new BBC drama and I was optioned for series two and series three as well oh wow so, so that must have felt did it feel a bit like going back to your old team like did it feel authentically um like being part of a police team or um, no, I not, mean it's not, obviously very different, yeah. but it's it's that same kind of having I mean, it, a unit in a way. Yeah, I think you know we we were we were two months. It actually should have been a six week shoot, but we had a COVID outbreak, and um, we had to shut down. So we extended the shoot for two weeks. So in the end, it was eight weeks. But you get two; those two weeks were paid, so you know you can't grumble really. And during those eight weeks, obviously you 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 film out of sequence. You never film in order, you film by location. And the team of five, most of my scenes are with them. So yeah, on the days that we're working together, you know, we're all in and it's just us and there are some extras and, um, you know, the same crew throughout. So it does, yes, feel very much like a team in that sense. But it's it's really love, really beautifully shot. You know, it's quite lush with the colour. And they haven't, 
so I had a really good conversation with the costume lady because my my character's quite quirky. There's there's a there's a quirkiness about her, and we decided it would be in her clothing rather than an outward sort of you know quirkiness in her you know the way that she acts if you like. So we've dressed her. She's got a fairly androgynous look. So I wear waistcoats and ties and a shirt. The tie's not done fully up. You know, it's, it's down and very tailored trousers. But I've, in my backstory, I've made my character gay. And that's almost a little bit of a nod to the gay community in a sense, because that there is no backstory for Monty or any of the characters apart from Lindo, because he's come from uh, a commonality scheme uh, where he's joining um, the British police, if you like. So there's no backstory of any of the characters yet. And there might be in series two, there might be in series three, I don't know. But the decision that I've made with my backstory is that she's gay, she's very happy at home, very happily married, she loves her job, and um, she's quite techy, like myself. And, uh, you know, just just a really great cop. You know, she doesn't get involved in office politics. She's quite straight down the line. So we, we sort of made her quirky in her clothing, you know, but everyone's clothing is amazing. They've they've steered away from the grey, the brown and the blue. You know, it's, it's quite bright in places, mm. which is lovely. Well, that sounds great. It's interesting as well to have your experience to draw on to have all those different people that you've met in your career to kind of bring into characters as well Mm. and also with you know with the scripts there were a few you know procedurally there are a couple of things that weren't correct so I was able to sort of say oh by the way this wouldn't happen Mm. or it wouldn't happen in this order Um, yeah that must be really helpful for the yeah um, for the crew as well did you feel like that experience was welcomed as yeah, I mean, really, yeah, I mean, Gary, da- um, Gary Davis, Gary Willie, oh, Williams, director. Gary Davis was a DJ, wasn't yeah. he? <laughs> <laughs> Gary Davis. Yeah, not him. <laughs> Gary Williams, the director, was just the loveliest man to on my big job, biggest job, yeah. you know, to, to work with. Just so really, well, just generous, you know, with his time and everything. And And he would sometimes ask me a couple of things and... The script editor would ask me a couple of things, but with the with being hyper focused, what I did on days that I was either like I might have been on set and been in four of the six scenes, so on this, the times when I wasn't on, I would literally not in one day, but I would go around to every single person that had a job and ask them what they did. And wanted to know the ins and outs of what they did. So I'd speak to the script editor and say, you know, what what exactly is it that you're doing on that iPad? And she would explain she was timing the scenes and also for continuity, which is a massive thing that I didn't really properly understand. But continuity is a pain (laughs) because, you know, if you decide that you're going to drink a you know, a sip of your tea at a certain time. You've got to remember exactly when you do that. If you shuffle in your chair, exactly when you do that. If you fiddle with a pen, exactly when you do that. So she was explaining her job that, you know, part of it was to make sure that we all moved when we were supposed to move. And, you know, I'd go around to the sound guys and the set designers and the first AD and the camera lady and everyone just saying, just explain to me exactly what you do. Because that's how my brain works. I want to know the why of everything. 
And I think it's really important as well because then you know, ah, oh, that's why there's so many people here. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's that's why there's like 40 people behind the scenes. It's such a huge machine, isn't it? And it's so important to have every single aspect of it working just right. Mm. So all the people, I, I love that about filming, that it's it's such a sort of integrated process and everybody's got an important part mm. to play in it. Definitely. Yeah. So, so it's, what was it like, that first sort of stepping onto set? Were you nervous or excited? Funnily enough, I... I always get nervous in auditions, ne- never with self-tapes because it's in your own time. But recalls, I do tend to get a bit nervous. And I thought, oh, God, you know, thankfully I'm not like this on set. But I really gave myself a good talking to before the recall for this and made sure that I wasn't, you know, or certainly didn't tell them I was nervous because I think that's one of the worst things you can do, really. Um, but day one, it was like, oh, it was my birthday. It was my 52nd birthday on my first day of shooting. And I was shooting with Bav and Katia, so it was just the three of us. And yeah, first day I was a little bit nervous, I must say. But after that, you're like, well, you've been validated, you're here. You know, there's no need to be nervous. And I think every now and then you you get the butterflies because, as you know, when when you've, you're filming a scene and there's four of you in it, everyone's going to get a close-up. You know, that everyone's going to get their reaction and their lines, which is why we film things so many times. So when it was my close up, I was like, oh, I've got to get my lines right. You know, make sure they're absolutely right and don't mess it up, you know, because time is money and all that. But, yeah, I wasn't particularly nervous on set. And then, you know, after two months, you kind of like, you know, kind of just becomes normality, really. Mm. And do you think that sort of sense of hyper focus helps as well, because you're able to really put your attention onto that scene and onto the other actors yeah I think so and you 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 have to be generous as an actor when it's not your close-up you can't just do your best work on your close-up and then you know because when they edit all edit it all together obviously your your close-up is generally going to have you with your lines and obviously some of the reaction but when it's not yours and you're not even on camera you still got to give that same level of performance for the other actors so it's important to be generous in that sense what was the, uh, your question again <laughs> i've forgotten it a menopausal uh, no um sort of hyper focus is actually probably a, a bonus That's right. isn't it because you can really be present in that moment yeah and actually i had a, a chat with emma shortly because every single scene that i filmed i was coached by with emma so i think it's really important to you know when you earn money to to basically spend money to make yourself better you know so I was re um what's the word well basically I was having coaching sessions whenever I needed it so if I was on set tomorrow I'd be having a coaching session tonight with her so every scene was coached but what I did find myself doing only on the first day and then I realized I was doing it was you know we'd you'd go in for your line run which is how it worked on this set and it's not the same with every director but we went in we did a line run then we did it again then it was blocked and for those that are new blocking is basically the choreography bit where you're told where to be at this point and where to be on that word and then he um gary does like it's called show and tell where he brings everyone in so you're then rehearsing your scene with the lines and the blocking with everyone there so you've got like 40 observers or whatever. 
just so they know, right, the camera's going to go here, we're going to do a shot from here, a two shot, a one shot. And then we disappeared to the green room. So I was, what I found on my first day was I was actually losing a bit of focus because I was so excited. I just sort of thought, oh, it's time to go on set and say my lines. And I, I didn't feel like I was properly in the moment. And I had a word with Emma. She said, you've got to take yourself away. You know, if you're in the green room, you'll have a nice chat and a cuppa. Take yourself away and just get yourself in the moment. Remember where you are, what you're doing, why you're there, where you're going after as your character. So from that moment on, I then sort of, you know, before any of the scenes, I just take myself off and remind myself and say to myself, right, you're here, you're interviewing a suspect. You're actually in an interview room. It's a police interview room. You're interviewing a suspect. You've been here before, Michelle. You've done this for 23 years. You know what you're doing. So it's almost that, you know, kind of getting into character, if you like, but quietly in a corner, you know, just <laughs> taking myself off a bit. As a group, did you feel, you obviously spent quite an intense time together. Mm. Did you form a good social yeah, I mean, group? And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Scots can drink, I learned. Because <laughs> I'd, I'd really only ever been to Sky before. So spending seven weeks in Glasgow and one week in Aberdeen, but, you know, the the production obviously treated us really well so they were flying us back and forth and if we wanted to fly back and forth or you know nice hotels and all sorts of things so yeah you end up forming a bond and a whatsapp group with these people Mm. you know and you're sort of you know if you're off we're going out for lunch or we're going for a drink on not on a school night and you know so yeah we've become friends and that's important because we need that bond because that's part of our characters as well you know so yeah we're, we're all friends now which is great so you've watched it back. Have you watched all of it or you've watched... No, we, oh. we, we're having a cast and crew screening uh, and that will be once the edit's done. So as soon as it's been edited, we'll have that screening. I'm not sure if that's all three episodes or just episode one, but that will be either in Scotland or London or both, I'm not sure. Um, so I haven't seen it yet. I've only seen bits because... When I, sometimes when I wasn't on set and I was in the green room, I would go and stand next to Gary and watch his monitor. So I've watched it, but without the sound because I didn't have any headphones. And a cup only twice I asked to see something that I did back just because Gary had a couple of notes and I wasn't quite sure what he meant. So I wanted to see what he was on about. So I watched it back and then I was like, oh, yeah, I get what you mean. Um... So no, I haven't really seen. I haven't seen it in its entirety. I've just seen bits of it, you know, as it's been filmed. That would be very exciting to yeah. to see it complete. I love that you had that sort of curiosity to go round and investigate each element of the whole process as well. I think that's I th- such a yeah, such an important. I think that thing to do. that helps. You know, that helps actors. I think. Well, it, it must help actors knowing. What's that man standing there with a microphone over my head? You know, oh, and there's another man over there and there's a woman over there with a microphone. And there's, you know, it's, you kind of, I mean, you get to know them, you know, over two months anyway. So it all falls into place. But I don't think if I hadn't early on gone around and said, can you explain exactly what you do? You know, like when I was being mic'd up, I'd always have my mic on my ankle. I always have an ankle mic because of the clothing I was wearing was quite tight. So it couldn't go around my waist. And it's, I wouldn't have known 
that it could have gone there if I hadn't have asked these questions and things like that. So, and they want you to be comfortable. They don't want you mm. to be uncomfortable in what you're wearing. So I think it's just really important to be inquisitive, but at the right time, you know, obviously not yes. when they're filming, yeah. <laughs> but at the right time. And you have to, you really have to gauge when the right time is, you know, so, um, but that, yeah, I think that sort of inquisitive nature about the why of everything has really helped me completely understand it because I might do another job and the director might not be, um, I'm sure they're lovely, but they might not be as, as, um, like Gary just had all the time in the world, you know, even though we're on a schedule. So, you know, you might not have a director that's like that and Mm. it might be like, you know, really, really quick. And so I'm glad I did it on that first Mm. big job to understand, you know, really the mechanics of the whole thing. Yeah. So what are are you auditioning for other work at the moment? Have you got things coming in? So for the two months that I was up there, my agent had she was getting loads of things in but the filming dates were clashing so I couldn't be put forward for a lot of stuff because we didn't finish filming until the 18th of June and as you know with the daylight saving hours filming generally takes place between when the clocks change so sort of May to September is quite busy so I missed out on quite a few things I haven't had an audition since that audition. So I finished filming uh, three three weeks ago, I think. I don't even know what day it is today. <laughs> About three weeks ago, maybe four. And I've spoken to my agent and she said, there are there's a couple of things that I'm surprised I haven't, you haven't been asked to take before because you'll be perfect for them. So obviously she's doing things behind the scene. I'm doing what I can on my side. So while I was away, filming I was still joining in on the act on this live podcast if I could and listening back to some of the stuff that Ross had taped before and since being back I've had a week off in France and then uh, the middle of the second week so yeah about 10 days 11 days after being back I started again writing to casting directors so telling him I've just finished this filming I'm back to the hustle Here's a reminder about me. Here's my spotlight. Here's my showreel. But my showreel's 50 seconds long. It doesn't have any footage from this in it, clearly, because it's not been aired. So it's quite difficult. Ellie, my agent, was saying it's quite difficult for casting directors to see you for these bigger roles when you've got no evidence (laughs) that you've, apart from, you know, you've, you've clearly done it. But apparently there'll be a press pack that comes out that she can then send out, which will have pictures and footage and stuff, so... But I'm still back to the hustle, so, uh, so unemployed. You, you, yeah, no. Are you disciplined about that then? That, that you send out, um, send casting directors every day or every. So I've got a list. I'm still old school, and I write them down rather than put them on, on the computer. Yeah. But I've got a list of about 110 contacts. So whether they're casting directors, directors, and some producers, and I have started and but. You have to, you have to look individually at each casting mm. director to see what are they, what are they casting at the moment because, you know, everyone's going to write to Kelly Valentine Henry that wants to be in Bridgerton. She's going to get snow, you know, like tons of them. So it's, you know, and I'm not a Bridgerton actor, so it's kind of you've, you've got to place it right. So again, it takes time. I've done about forty, but then you have to 
you know, look at them, look at them IMDb, uh, Google them, see what's happening, you know, and then tailor it to suit. So it's not like a one-fits-all email. So they're, they're, I'm in the process of doing those. I don't email on a Monday because it will get lost. So I tend to sort of do it um, Wednesday afternoon through till Friday and hit as many as I can yeah. then and then wait again till the following week and again hit as many as I can yeah. until I've done them. And then when this comes out, there'll be another email that goes out and it will literally just be probably one line that says, you know, this is on whenever I play this character. I'd love for you to watch. Yeah. And then when it comes out and I get the footage, <laughs> I then have, you know, show material. 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 And yes. then that will go out. So it's a constant hustle. I think, yeah. I think the people that make that effort, um, and, the, you know, going back to what I said at the very beginning about sometimes it takes, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And, you know, you might say that I've been quite fortunate or lucky getting a series regular after only being in acting for two and a half years. But the amount of hours that I've put in has paid off. And, I, and I'm not saying that other actors don't do that. And, I'm, and I, I do appreciate other people, other actors are either single parents or they work full time or they have two jobs and they might not have time to do it. So I do get that. And so I, I obviously have that on my side where I don't work. This is my job. And, you know, I am constantly hustling. But I think my advice to people that are in a different situation to me would be do something every day, whether that's one email a day. You know, at the end of a working week, you've done five. I wouldn't advise emailing on weekends, but you've done five. So in a month, you've done 20, you know. So even if it's one email a day or watch something that gives you some advice or ask for some advice somewhere or, you know, anything anything that's going to really forge your career yeah it's the sort of incremental progress isn't it one percent that sort of one percent a day adds up mm. over time doesn't it and they've got great memories as well you know yes casting yeah. directors you know because you, you can for example i i did an audition for um uh, victor jenkins and andy briley they have a, a joint office and seth mason works for that you know in conjunction the three of them and I had an audition with them for The Undeclared War that's just come out. And actually the role that I auditioned for isn't in it. So that's been cut. So I didn't get that. But obviously it's a disappointment for the actress that did get that. And it's now been cut. And that's our business, unfortunately. But from doing that, they brought me in again for the split. And I booked that job. And from there, they brought me in again for, for Unforgotten. And I got shortlisted for Unforgotten. I would love that. <laughs> and I didn't get that one. That's quite disappointing. You know they'll always they'll always come back to you. Mm. You know yes, if, so if, if, they if like your you. face doesn't fit for that role, it might be for the next one. So mm. um, tell me about the split. Yeah, so the split. I it was one scene. It was a uh, playing a surgeon, and I was invited to the read through. And it's the first time I'd ever done a read through. I've got a bit of an excruciating, embarrassing story about that. <laughs> but so I was invited to the Zoom read through. So you're doing a read-through with Nicola Walker and Stephen Mangan and all these class actors. And there's me with my two lines or whatever it was. And uh, first time I'd ever done a Zoom read-through. And at the end of it, I didn't know what to do. And people were leaving and I'm like really not techie. 
And then at the end, it was this Victor, me, Nicola Walker, the woman that plays her mum and the two of the sisters. And I was like, if I just sort of stay really still, they'll think that that I've frozen. I was so embarrassed because I didn't know what to do. And I find the leave button. (laughs) I didn't even know what I was supposed to do. I'd never really, I'd never done it before. So uh, that was so embarrassing. And I sent Victor a quickie. He didn't reply, but I sent him a quick email going, I'm really sorry. I didn't quite know what I was supposed <laughs> to be not, doing. You can't yeah. see me. <laughs> no, and they haven't brought me in since. <laughs> no, actually, they have. Sure they, they, they brought me in. They did. They brought me in for Unforgotten. So it, it wasn't um, It wasn't to my detriment. But <laughs> just pretending it was just, you're frozen. And... I know. It was just like, just stay still. It was just so embarrassing. <laughs> but that, that was one day filming um, at... Ealing Hospital with Karen. Um, what's her name? Karen. I can't remember her name, surname, Karen, but she's lovely, um, really lovely. And I, and I said to her, oh God, you know, this is, I'm quite new to all this. And she really looked after me. And I, and I think that you shouldn't be afraid to say that with the person that you're going to be in a scene with, but don't probably say it to the director. They don't really want to hear that you're nervous, you know, and all the rest of it. But Karen and I would run our lines together. And, you know, so it was one scene. Um, I was really excited, but I felt like I was also massively nervous. And this is why I said to you earlier, I think day player roles are so difficult because you're coming into an environment where everyone's gelled. You know, they've all, they all know each other and you're coming in as this day player playing a surgeon that, you know, after the read through, actually, I got a few more lines, which was lovely. But it's so much harder to understand your character and break everything down and why are you there and why are you saying it and where have you come from, which is why you've got to make it up, you know, decide that for yourself and they'll tell you whether it's right or wrong. Yes, yeah. But yeah, the whole scene was cut. Oh. And I was like, yeah, the whole scene was cut. And I contacted Garrett Karen, I sent her a message and I just said, um, oh, so, you know, disappointed. And she said, yeah, loads of my stuff was cut. She said, that's just what happens. Just the way it goes sometimes, yeah. yeah. And then, like, literally two days later, I booked this other job. So it was disappointment to high or almost yeah. immediately. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, Michelle, I'm so enjoying talking to you. I could carry on all day. I'm, I'm just going to have a quick look at my questions. You asked, I think you asked me, is there anyone in the industry that's, you know, sort of made you want to be an actor or, yeah, you know, really that sort of stuff? Yeah, really inspired you. My inspiration and my mentor is Emma. So Emma's my acting coach and she has massively brought me out of my shell, if you like, mm. and really sort of helped, really helped me. Because sometimes when I did my unforgotten self-tape, she said, you know, so I was playing it a certain way and I was quite happy with, with what I'd done. She said, but let's, let's do another tape and let's do it, you know. When you were interviewing suspects, how did they react? You know, what were they like? So, well, a bit shifty, wouldn't look you in the eye. Um, you know, maybe a little bit sort of nervy. She'd play it like that. And I did it. And she's like, that's the one. And I could really, you know, she really helps me in that sense. Um, so, yeah, she's she's sort of my mentor, if you like. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think it's really helpful to have someone like that an outside eye who can just reflect back to you what you're doing and give you different ideas because it can be especially now with the sort of self-tape world it's not the same as rehearsing Mm. in person is it so to have someone who can sort of look objectively and say give you some 
guidance is so helpful. And I think that that what you've just said is is really important and very very true. That if you find the right coach, and you know, still some A list actors have coaches. You know, it's not something that you need to ever give up if it's helpful. Mm. But what you need is. Do you remember like years ago when the X Factor would have, or the other one, that they would have singers on that were dreadful, really awful, but somebody had told them that they were really good. But that person was never objective. It was either Mm. their mum or their sister or another family member. I think actors really need to know whether they can act. And it's no good asking your mum, your wife, your husband. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, You need to have... Because casting directors will look at your self-tape objectively. They don't know what you're self-conscious about. They don't Mm. know whether or not that word is always a bit difficult to say or, you know, I can never deliver that line right. It doesn't sound right. A casting director doesn't look at it like that. And you need to find somebody, and this is the thing with Emma, I've told her, be 100% honest with me. If it's rubbish, tell me it's rubbish, but how can I improve? If it's good, tell me it's good. So when she tells me it's good, I know it's good. So you need somebody objective, I think, mm. to to help you on your way. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, I guess, Michelle, what would you say to help people who are listening on their if they're thinking about giving it a go? What would your sort of top advice be for people who are thinking about trying something first of all life's too short to put off what you can do today really to any other time and I think you need to follow your dreams but I also believe that you need to find out whether you can act and I don't think it's healthy to tell somebody keep going keep going keep going because if you keep going and keep going and keep going and still are making the same mistakes that you've always been making and don't get anyone to help you over that it's a lost cause and you know you you do sort of see people I think quite frequently on Twitter or when you look at their showreel or whatever and you think they they they've got potential they just need a bit of help and Mm. I still need a bit of help I'm not saying I'm the best actor in the world I'm still learning you know I'm still just picking up as much as I possibly Mm. can and soaking it all in but I would say get somebody objective to see, first of all, whether or not you can act. And if you've got potential, get some training. And I don't mean drama school unless you really want to go to drama school. But I mean workshops, one-to-ones. Mm. And it's an investment. And like I say, when you when you earn, if you do a day player role, reinvest that in your career. Mm. Reinvest it into training. So get training. Carry on doing training while you're you know, still learning. Um, and yeah, if you can act, then go for it. But you've got to be good. Mm. <laughs> you need to know what you need to know that you can act first, because it's a lost cause otherwise, and it's a waste of money. Mm. But yeah. that goes for anything in life, I think. Just go for it. Go for it. <laughs> good. That's the motto of Creative Twist, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any books or yeah, this that you thought of? There's a I know you're not going to show the video, so uh, but I'll show it to you. Um, but it's called Reading It Backwards. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've got that one. So yeah. Andy Nyman, The Golden Rules of Acting That Nobody Ever Tells You. He's done two books. This was the first book, I think. It's a really nice little book that you can read in an hour, and it, it's great for beginners. 
And it's mm. great to also remind people that are not beginners to go back and have a look. Am I still doing that? Am I really hustling? Am I pushing? Yeah. Uh, well, that's a great little book. I, I really enjoy reading that. Great. Where could people find you on if they want to look you up and find out when the show is on? Are you on uh, social I'm on, media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, which is my name, Michelle Jerram, and the same on Instagram, Michelle Jerram. And that's another thing, actors out there. Your, I think it's important for your headshot to be the same across all media. Mm. So if you're putting like a little in embed. Uh, a picture embedded in the bottom of your emails that should be your headshot the same on twitter the same on instagram linkedin anything that you use for acting because then you know what it's like it's a repetitive thing you keep mm. seeing that and you go oh i recognize oh yeah okay oh yeah oh yeah so i think that's quite important to to have your headshot or your picture the same across all media that you use for acting i only use twitter for acting mm. um so i don't tweet pictures of Cats and dogs and cakes. But. Yeah. <laughs> there <laughs> so are plenty what? of those. <laughs> I like looking at them, but I don't yeah. tend to do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh Well, thank you so much, Michelle. It's been really a pleasure to talk to you, and I can't wait to see um, Granite Harbour. Me either. really be looking forward to that. Thanks yeah. for inviting me on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Creative Twist. Show notes and resources can be found on my website, sallyvanderpump.com. Thanks to Rosie Kernahan for the podcast photo, to Vicky Arledge for composing the music, to Jen at Studio 2711 for the artwork, and to Tina Cooney for the branding. I'd love to work with you on a creative project. If you'd like to book me for voiceover or talk about an acting project, please contact me via my website, sallyvanderpump.com. And if you'd like to meditate with me, You can find me on SoundCloud or Insight Timer.